Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Heather Camisa, who's the president and CEO of St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center. And we're also speaking with Tara Sanucci, who's in charge of their pet retention program. So I'd like to welcome you both to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Heather is wondering, how did you get started in animal welfare? You've been in the business for quite a while, had a very successful career. And I was just wondering how you got started in animal welfare. And then uh, I'd like to hear from Tara. You know, Stacy, my story is the Yogi Berra fork in the road. I, <laughs> I was always someone that just had a special attachment and affinity and caring for animals and compassion. And I started volunteering in my teens. It's a one-way path, right? It just keeps pulling you in. And in my 20s, I was on the board of an animal shelter running fundraisers. I helped create their first website. This was back then, you know, hard coding HTML when I was in graduate school. You know, I had a former career as an economist. There I was at a board meeting and our executive director was leaving. We had been through a couple in quick succession, just through some circumstances. We were about to face a capital campaign and some big initiatives. And the board chair looked at me and said, we need you to do this. That was really where it went from avocation to vocation for me. And it, it took me a couple of days, but my heart leapt out of my mouth and said, yeah, I'll do it. And that was over 16, 17 years ago. That is my story. And Tara? Mine's a, a little less involved with that. I, I grew up similarly loving animals of all kinds and wanting to do something with them, but I was never sure what. And then at some point, I just decided I wanted to do whatever was needed to help animals. And I found a sheltering job and I got involved with that. And it was very basic, you know, cleaning, walking, feeding. And then I got involved with St. Hubert's and then it just kind of took off from there. And I've been able to turn a slight obsession with cats into a very <laughs> exciting career thus far. That's great. I do not know that much about St. Hubert's. Um, you are located in New Jersey. Heather, maybe you could share with us what is what are all the programs that St. Hubert's has? Sure. We were founded in 1939. We have four campuses. We consider ourselves a regional organization. We really work to connect the rescue community all along the East Coast. We work with shelters down in the Southeast, up into the Northeast. We have a humane education program. We do a lot with at-risk youth. We have a full-time humane educator. We have a large training and behavior center. We've also been the home of the ASPCA's Behavioral Rehabilitation Center for four years now. Um, and that is a specialty rehab center for dogs that are the victims of puppy mills, hoarding, um, and similar situations. And there's actually a uh, documentary out on Netflix right now about the program here. So we get involved in some wide-reaching efforts. We try to speak out on regulation and legislation that can improve animal welfare. We run a professional education series to help, again, 
network and professionalize the field of animal welfare. We can do so much more together than we ever could apart. And our programs for the community, you know, trap, neuter, return voucher program, anywhere in New Jersey, people can use our vouchers. Um, they may have to drive a little bit to one of the participating vets, but we don't limit participation in that program. We do provide animal control services for townships across central and northern New Jersey. Other than humane education, the training and behavior center, the pet helpline, which we're very proud of that Tara heads up. We really just try to run programs out where we need to be. So shock clinics to talk with people with that might need help. We have a really vibrant pet food pantry program. We give out about 70,000 pet meals a year to help people keep their pets. So, you know, I guess we do a lot in response and we're trying to focus even more heavily on prevention all the time. You mentioned the uh, Pet Helpline, and I believe that's a program that, that Tara has been intimately involved with. Tara, could you share with us a little bit more in detail about what that program is all about? Sure. So we've been doing the Pet Helpline now for about three years, and it's continuing to grow and to flourish, and we're adapting to meet the needs of the people that are calling us and the families that are calling us to help them, again, connect them with needed resources. They, a lot of times, just aren't aware of what is out there or how to get to it. So we help them with that. We'll help them with that behavior aspect as well. Cats are not just cats. They get a lot of flack on the internet for their behavior. And a lot of times, helping people understand their behavior helps improve that relationship, which sometimes that alone can really make a huge impact on somebody's decision on how they interact with their cat, how, you know, if they were considering surrendering, we're, uh, we're obviously attempting to keep those pets in the homes and do whatever we can to keep them in there. And also if somebody has lost their pet, there's some really great information out there on the behavior of displaced cats that a lot of pet guardians are completely unaware of. So really helping to share that information and give them effective recovery techniques to recover their cats and keep them in the home and live happily ever after. So it's a, it's a really rewarding thing to be a part of. And it's really been a very fun journey and it continues to get even more exciting as the community responds for and needs our assistance for more things. Are you starting to think about that special gift? Why not give the gift of a Community Cats podcast branded t-shirt, coffee mug, bag, or other item? This is the perfect way to spread the word about helping community cats. The proceeds from the sales will go to support the Community Cats podcast and the Community Cats Grants program, which helps small groups grow their fundraising programs to be able to fund more spay-neuter programs for free-roaming cats. Go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on our shop button in the menu bar today to get that perfect community cat gift right now. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. The Community Cats Podcast is now getting over 3,000 downloads a month. The word is spreading, and we have a fast-growing listener support base. Would your business want to be a sponsor of the show and help us to continue our programs? To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com slash sponsor. For the month of March, many of our shows are going to be talking about microchipping. I sort of have themed March as the microchipping madness month. 
And, um, you know, this microchipping does play a role with regards to lost pets and lost cats, maybe not to the percentages that we would like to see, but you had talked about some key sort of tips to early recovery. If you are missing your cat, are there key things that we should be doing within the first 24 hours of missing a cat or a cat? Yeah, absolutely. One of the first things, obviously, is conducting a very thorough search inside and the very near outside of the home. There's an overwhelming percentage, a little over 90% of indoor-only cats are actually found within five homes, and about 84% of cats with outside access are found within five homes. So conducting a very thorough search, going door-to-door, you know, the old boots on the ground is still probably one of the most effective ways as opposed to maybe driving around the block and, you know, shaking the bag of treats and hoping that they come. Really helping the people get motivated to go out there and realize that by not waiting a day or two before you make that report or not waiting a day or two before you go looking, that you have a much better chance. And there's still hope, whether they've waited a week or whether it's been an hour it doesn't matter. There's still effective techniques that you can do. One of the things that we always counsel people on, microchipping is fantastic. It's the best permanent form of ID, but you're not going to be able to see a microchip from any distance. So if somebody just happens to see a cat in their yard, they might, again, just assume there's no collar. It's a community cat. It's a stray cat. And it's actually somebody's cat that is missing and they may not know. So really giving them the the tools to communicate and what to say, who to say it to, where to search, how to search. Those are the primary things within the first 24 hours that you always want to make that effort to do. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's very funny because we uh, I've been working with a, a group in a area north of Boston. And one of the things that seems to come about now when people are missing their cats is the first thing they do is throw it up on Facebook. And yeah. the local animal control officer is like, well, it's on Facebook, but nobody ever called me. And, you know, and, you know, they didn't ask their neighbors and that kind of thing. So it is, it's sort of start your zone small and then build from there. Yeah. And certainly, you know, conduct those searches, notify everybody within the area, notify the police station, the health department, the animal control, the local shelters, do all that, throw it up on Facebook. That never hurts. We've had a couple of cats and dogs that were reunited simply because somebody saw their photo on Facebook. We do, we advocate for all of our lost and found cats that enter our shelter since we do animal control for so many towns. Any of those cats that come in are put up on Facebook, will help make the posters and signs and everything. But really, the problem with searching for cats a lot of times is people will try to do just one thing and they'll maybe focus really hard on that, but we still want to get them to the point where, yes, it's great to do Facebook or it's great to call your animal control, but there's more that you can do. One challenge with regards to the whole microchipping thing is the idea or the dream that we would hope that all the registration information would be kept current. Mm. At St. Hubert's, do you have any magical answers to trying to ensure that that microchip information is kept current? Do you have any perks or giveaway days or anything to help those registrations be kept up to date? That's a great point, Stacey. A database is only as good as it's maintained. And it is incredibly frustrating to scan a microchip call the number and they're no longer 
you know, that's no longer the correct phone number. After people were able to be portable with their cell phone numbers, we've seen, an, uh, at least here at St. Hubert's, you know, that's been a bit better that the phone numbers stay intact. It really is messaging to the, at the time of adoption, emphasizing the importance, uh, which we do. Uh, we do microchip all animals prior to adoption, or at least dogs and cats. We don't microchip the bunnies and the guinea pigs. We do handle all types of animals here. If people don't maintain that data, it isn't it isn't good data. And a lot of the, the microchip companies now are trying to offer augmented products. And people should know when they do that initial registration, really ask what is kept in perpetuity and what do they need to renew every year? So some of the microchip companies are saying, you know, if you pay this $19.99 a, month, uh, a year or $24, we'll fax every shelter in an area if your pet gets lost or you get a free call to the poison control center. And look, some of the, some of the benefits someone may want, but they should know that their fundamental information is there. So, you know, really they should call up their microchip company make sure that is the case because there is a bit of upselling going on that we have found has been confusing people. That's true. Good point. One other thing that was mentioned in one of our previous podcasts was the possibility of trying to encourage registration checks at point of licensing or a rabies vaccination clinic or something like that. Yeah, that's great. And I certainly would encourage, we do outreach events and we do offer uh, greatly discounted microchipping. We offer free spay neuter. Sometimes we do, with all of our TNRs, we also microchip all of the cats that are part of our TNR program. But we do talk with people at all of our outreach events about microchipping. If we could just get everyone to put on a, a tag and a collar, and I, we fully recognize the challenges <laughs> of that with our feline friends. It really is letting your neighbors know that this cat is my cat, whether that is a collar and tag or putting a sign on your front yard that says missing cat with a with a big picture. It a lot of people didn't know that this cat lived two doors down from them and they either end up taking it in or calling animal control or seeing if they can find a friend to adopt this nice cat they found that showed up at their back door because everyone thinks pretty quickly that this is an abandoned cat or this is a stray cat no one wants because it doesn't have ID. If everyone could think this cat is lost, how can we get this cat back home? Um, it changes behavior. Um, another key that really changes behavior is hope. And Tara, you certainly talk <laughs> with people all the time about keeping hope going and people give up hope way too soon in most cases. And just last week, we actually had somebody who called us. We had a snowstorm and they have a primarily all white cat who had gotten out. He had never been outside before. So she was the, you know, the guardian was immediately thinking the worst that she was never going to find the cat. He had buried himself under the snow and you know, counseled her and I spoke with her. And at the end of the call, she said, you know, I have a lot more hope now. That's for sure. You know, and I helped her make some flyers. We got some posters ready. She stopped in again, reinforced the counseling points that we had made earlier for where to search, how to talk to people. The very next day, she actually returned the posters and came in and actually shared a picture of her cat after she had recovered him in front of one of the lost cat flyers that we had helped her make. And she was kind of at the point already with the cat had only been missing for a day, but because of the lack of 
experience with this and the lack of places that she knew she could go to, she didn't have a ton of information on how her cat would behave once he was outside. She knew how he behaved inside the home, but outside the home was very different. And because of that and the weather conditions, she kind of gave up hope very quickly at the idea of her cat being found safe. And she was so thankful. What was the Um, tip that helped her? It was really kind of going door to door. She put up the flyers and the posters. She talked to everybody. She, you know, was able to look around some of some of the yards. And although she didn't find him initially, very soon after she hung up all the flyers and talked to everybody, somebody called her and said that they had seen him walking around and she was able to get him back. Okay. Very, very wee hours of the morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is when you get to know your neighbors if you don't know them already, mm-hmm. as if your cat's missing. Yeah. Want to learn more about grants? Register for Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Learn the ins and outs of writing grants, how to track them, and how to do follow-up reports. This is a perfect educational opportunity for a small organization looking to develop a strategic grant writing program as a fundraiser. Go to communitycatspodcast.com and click the link on the homepage to register. After registering, you'll receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the webinar. That's Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m.